Hey folks, how's it going? Welcome to Dojo Talks. Uh, this is our uh, weekly recorded podcast that we do live and then put up on YouTube and, and everywhere else. Um, and today we are going to be starting the fight on openings. We're going to be talking about our own approaches to the opening and, and where we may uh, digress. Uh, I certainly have some grievances to bring to bring up <laughs> with the guys. Um, and then at some point we'll transition and we'll talk about um, how we think players of various levels should approach learning the opening because um, we do have points of disagreement there um, as well. Um, but first, let's let's just start it off with maybe giving giving folks a, a bit of a, a preview or our core opening philosophy, or maybe even just a simple question I'll, I'll throw to you guys. Um, how do you work on the opening these days? Let's start with um, Jesse, because I know you do the chessable. I know you do other stuff, but <laughs> mm. yeah. Um, so uh, I think the older I get, the more I've come to realize uh, the, the openings are not that important, even at my level or higher. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about more why I think that and why there's that illusion. But in general, I have a very simple thing where uh, I try to play the same openings uh, so that I can get a deep understanding of the structures. And then I'm not doing a lot of theory, but the only time I'll do a little bit of, let's call it theoretical work, brush up, if you will, is like right before a tournament. I might do a little bit of the chessable just to review some of the lines and maybe, you know, go into some of the questions I have about the openings. But the real work really happens when I review my own games. And, you know, that's part of the joy of uh, playing the same opening is that you can really deepen your understanding. And of course, you'll never always play the same thing. Things will always evolve. But uh, with myself and with my students, I'm like, dude, you got to stick to an opening to really understand it. Um, and and I find like that's really true. Uh, old, ages ago, a friend of mine told me that you have to lose something like 20 games in an opening before you have a grip on it. Anyway, so in a nutshell, that's my approach and thinking on it. All right, man, how about you, David? Ooh, Jesse did a better nutshell than me. <laughs> on... So my approach is to always start off by staring at an opening that I want to play and trying to figure out what I really think of it. Like, for example, if you imagine the winner were French, I'll sort of stare at it and be like, Black gave up this dark squared bishop. How valuable is it? White's got these doubled pawns. How much of a problem is it? You know, how does this play into the D4E5 pawn structure? And I'll sort of, I'll sort of try to understand for myself and often incorrectly at first, right? But I'll try to start out with some kind of, I'll try and create a hypothesis before I investigate, right? I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, this looks good for black or good for white, or this is, or the crux of it is going to be whether or not black's able to control the F6 square, whatever it might be, you know? I try to come up with some general insight like that into the key positional factors or dynamic struggles in the position. First off, on my own. Um, then I'll, I will go try to play a bunch of blitz games with the opening as a way to rack up a certain number of games more quickly. And that way, 
let's say I looked at a position. I thought, oh, white can just gain space on the king side and then it'll be great for them. That way I can try it out. And often in practice, it looks very different than in theory. Right. And then I find out that in practice, there's some tactical detail that really, you know, slows you down or whatever it might be. So, um, so then I'll play those games, uh, and draw some new conclusions from that. And then I'll turn to looking at GM games. Um, and if there are a lot of games, I may pick like a GM who I think plays that opening particularly well and look at a lot of their games. Um, and if it's a sort of rarer opening, I might just look at all the games ever played by GMs in that opening. The last step, which I usually don't get to, would be to build out specific variations that that I like after gathering all this material and gaining all these ideas about what does and doesn't work and how it should be played. But I, I mean, I rarely get to that step, even though in theory, I, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. So for me, um, it's actually, I've always felt it's kind of like a three-step process and I don't always have time for, all three steps. So for me, it's like the first step's the most important, then the second, and then third. Um, and the way I've always thought about it is like the first step is just learning all of the thematic ideas of an opening. So if you're playing like a dragon Sicilian, like learning like when it's a good time to sacrifice on C3, um, learning about the different sacrifices on like E4 and G4 and how to deal with White's attack and just all the middle game themes. I feel like that's just the most important part of learning to play in the opening. Um, then for me, number two is trying to understand um, just the current state of theory, just like what lines are being played right now? Like how are people tackling this opening? And like, what are the you know responses? Just to kind of get a grip on like what is currently out there. And then the third step is to like come up with like a new idea or something rare or hasn't been, or like my own, take on the on the position or some kind of um, uh, detail. So the times where I feel like I've been most successful in the opening, it's like when I get all the way to number three, I've like learned the ideas of the opening long ago. I kind of understand where the current theory is at. And I even have like some some nuance and, and some uh, concrete knowledge, like some computer tricks, uh, as you guys <laughs> might call them. Um, but uh, personally, when I try to like learn an opening, I think, um, I'm not sure, I don't think you guys mentioned this, but the first thing I always start with is just some kind of course or a book. Like I like starting with a guide because um, I feel like chess openings have been around for so long and it doesn't really make sense to, uh, to reinvent the wheel when there's already someone like a guru much more experienced than you who can kind of uh, show you the ways. Because the thing I'm, I'm often looking for of course anyone can look at the database anyone can turn on the engine what i'm looking for is that like deep wisdom like you only want to trade off this bishop if white like makes this weakening move already or um you know like if you have a choice to recapture ef6 or gf6 like in the french it's like oh yeah in this kind of position you want to go not in the french in the caro <laughs> in this position you want to go ef6 in this position you want to go gf6 right so these kind of like middle game themes and, and little tidbits I feel like are, are the most useful. And you often get those when you're like watching someone's course uh, and a lot of like, you know, great 
teachers like they just can't help but like throw in those like little um, bits of wisdom in there and then it just gives you like a good starting point and then from there you can figure out okay do I want to play the opening exactly like this course is suggesting or usually I go off and you know I find my own ways to uh, to deviate um, which will typically include um, looking at lots of uh, lots of high level games and, and just trying to understand how they're they're playing the opening but that's that's all part of step one for me um okay i'm rambling here so <laughs> no, no no not not at all kostya i mean i was listening carefully and um i've been thinking of you know trying to go more in that direction occasionally the because i don't i don't do that right that was not in my steps my steps is kind of like figure it all out on your own so you know reinventing the wheel right with the idea that that way you really understand and remember how the wheel works because like you had to work so hard to, to figure it out. Um, but my way is, is so slow, you know, and then on top of that, I want to learn every opening and then I, <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, you know, you, you also talked about not always finishing your three steps. Right. And I've got like five steps and I never finish them. So, yeah. <laughs> um, there's definitely something to be said for actually getting to your destination versus planning some kind of perfect route that you'll never make it through. Right. So if I could just highlight what I think are the big differences between us uh, is that what makes me squirm <laughs> when I watch you guys either play openings or discuss opening is first of all, Dave is like learning everything. So he doesn't actually know anything. I think there are some things he knows better than others, but he hasn't been able to deepen himself in any given opening. Then with Kosia, oh my God, oh my God, it's, <laughs> I, I was covering one of his games and I almost, I screamed, I screamed because Kosia has been falling into this trap where he's like, especially with white, like I want to play D4 and I want to play E4 and I'm going to be following all the newest trends and I'm going to be doing all this deep computer research. And it's a um, it's an illusion that's a, a trick where even if it works, it, like the problem is it probably did work like one time. And then because it works one time and that feeling of power is so uh, powerful and, and uh, <laughs> powerful, obviously, but uh, it sucks you in in a way that you can't then get out. And then I'm watching it and I can see these weird computer moves. I can tell like it's impossible to actually understand them with the human mind. And then I don't feel like, like he's understanding really what's going on in either the D4 or the E4. So um, anyways, I wanted to bring it up, especially with Kosia, because I'm like rooting for the guy to become GM. And honestly, I think that's one of the main things that he's got to switch up. And one of the interesting things too about the, the, the training program is I think uh, like for me, since I'm like... Uh, a peer of course he's not going to listen to me he's not going to listen to me <laughs> but if he had someone above him who was like all right coast you're going to do what i say then i think that would be really helpful okay yeah let me let me push back here a little bit yeah, a couple of things because this is one of my grievances for you guys because i feel <laughs> like i'm actually very thoughtful about how i choose my openings mm -hmm. um and and the main driving force for me when i choose an opening is not what the computer thinks not at all it's what kind of position do I want to play? That's the number one thing I'm thinking about when I'm choosing my lines. Like, do I want to play this position over the board or not? 
And then I use the engine, right, to kind of help me prepare the, the opening, obviously. But okay, Jesse, you said that I'm like switching between like D4 and E4. I've played E4 one game since the pandemic uh, ended. <laughs> Out of like 100 games. <laughs> one game I played E4. I've just been a D4 player. And I throw in some Knight F3, which is very, very similar. Because uh, the lines and structures often transpose. Now you can say I'm switching between D4 and Knight F3, but I don't know. <laughs> okay, I played E4 in one game. Because... I correctly predicted that my opponent's like just very unprepared against e4 and doesn't have uh, a good line. And uh, he played his usual stuff. Actually, that, that's a story I'd love to bring up because uh, both you guys were covering that game that day. Uh -huh. That was the uh, the Sicilian with the h3 Nidorf. Um, and uh, I oh, played yeah. his very, very early Ugh. move a3. Ugh. <laughs> Which both you guys, uh, no, 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 Jesse actually, to his credit, was much more open-minded about it. Um, David dismissed it without uh, without really thinking about it. Um, right. Which, and Caruana had played it, right? Yeah, Caruana uh, played it in the uh, 2021, in a critical game, the 2021 FIDE Grand Swiss. So yeah. the tournament that he qualified to the candidates from. Yeah. You want terrible, a very important moves. game with white. <laughs> but you're just, oh yeah, that sucks. So that shows your open-mindedness to, to the line. Um, even though, I mean, it totally makes perfect sense. And then back then you were, you were saying like, oh, there's no way uh, I, could, I could explain it. I could explain it right now. It's just like a prophylactic move, A3. And you're waiting for black to commit to something because black has multiple setups in that position. And white doesn't necessarily want to commit the bishop to G2. White also doesn't want to commit the bishop to e3. But prophylaxis means you're preventing something. What are you preventing? No, it's a useful move in many positions. You're preventing bishop b4. You're preventing b5, b4. Okay, wait, guys. You're no just playing it a little what, bit. People no can look up the game. <laughs> no one's going to understand each other. So, but, but look, before we get distracted, look, the, the broader picture, though, okay, is, and, and this is part of the disagreement, is <clears throat> because Kostya thinks that openings are really important, he's investing a lot of time in like the whole thing, the whole package, right? And the package is computer research, chessable, opening courses, the whole the, the whole thing, right? So um, I think, and, and I think it's a, a problem, especially because when I, I see like the switching back and forth and I don't feel like, and I, maybe I'm being too harsh here, but I'm just saying, I think it is a difference. And I do think also like, yeah, that's one of the reasons you're you're struggling with a lot of these recent events. That's just my take on it. That has to do a lot with the opening because you're making it harder on yourself, you know? Yeah, no, no, I, d I definitely disagree with you guys. I mean, I, I have numbers here, uh, like with white specifically, you know, I'm performing like a 2500 level, mm -hmm. like in some games, like 2600, like just the rating performance is like between 25 and 20. Like I took the average of a bunch of games and then with black, I'm getting killed, especially against uh, against e4. But um, but that's just because I haven't found, uh, in my opinion, uh, something I'm really, really solid with. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I I really uh, I mean, for me, I I feel like it's really bad to be stagnant in your openings. I think you guys would agree with this. It's not great to play the London system every single game, and then always do the same setup, and then never try anything new. But now I'm like trying something that's new. And I think that's very important. I remember like reading uh, Shirov's book and he was talking about how when they were preparing for events in the 90s, 
he was saying like one of the most important things is knowing that you had some new weapon to bring when it came to the opening stage. So like that was like the most important thing for him. Okay, he was a big, you know, semi-slav guy, a Nidorf guy, etc. But uh, I don't know, you guys saying like openings aren't important, but at our level, at the IMGM level, it's like, I mean, the main thing that <laughs> these guys work on, like I really don't, like at the world championship level, it's just like, it's just all about the openings. Yeah, right? I don't disagree at, with you, Kostya. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm like okay, I'm gonna trying to get me... to GM level where it's all about the opening. It doesn't <laughs> seem that crazy that it's an important part of the game. Uh, David, I mean, yeah, you work with, you know, Sam. Obviously, he he feels very strongly that the opening is important. And he was working oh, yeah. on openings well before he was 2,700. He would agree 100% with you. And he would say that the point is that you're working on the opening so deeply that you're getting really good at the middle game. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can tell you right away. That's like exactly what he would say. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, for me, that's a big part of it. Also, you guys are acting like I'm working on openings all the time, which is very you, untrue. You, say, you keep saying you guys, but this is just Jesse's. No, David, I, you, I you brought up all the same points when, you know, I always watch the, the broadcast after when you guys cover my games. And yeah, you know, I didn't like happened. the A3 move. I don't like the H3 move, but but I didn't. But I've I've got no problem with what time you're spending on the opening. I don't know how much time you're spending on different aspects of the game. That's that's not from me. Good. <laughs> Jesse, yeah, Jesse was singing a different tune. <laughs> Let me actually just put out there what I, I feel like is an, I'll probably do a video on this uh, soon. But uh, so I'm reading. I'm really going deep in this Kahneman book, Thinking Fast and Slow. I thought I understood it before, but I didn't really get it. There's a lot in there. And one of the amazing things that hit me like a lightning bolt is like, so he does this great thing where you do an experiment. Imagine you tell somebody, all right, you have a one in a million chance of winning a million dollars. So now the economical worth of that would be a thousand. So if you were going to sell it, you'd be like, okay, you can have it for a thousand. But the hope, <laughs> the hope that's engendered by that one in a million, uh, they're not going to sell it for a thousand. They want more. Now, different people will rated differently but it'll definitely be more wait i'm sorry one in a million chance wouldn't that that be worth ten thousand one dollar one in a million is for for <laughs> one dollar is would be one in a hundred coasted if you was a hundred dollars wait i know i i, I must have missed <laughs> you said one in a million chance to win a million dollars what excuse me one in a hundred sorry one percent chance Oh, one in a hundred to oh, win a million chance. dollars. Okay, so that would be worth ten thousand dollars, and I think Kosti and I would both value it at exactly ten thousand dollars. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. And anyway, <laughs> okay, uh, here's let me just try to make the point. Okay, so people overvalue it because it's a hope. It's like, oh man, maybe I'm going to get a million bucks. And then similarly, this is important. I, I swear to God, this is important for the opening. When you imagine, you say this, you're somebody. Okay, there's a one in a million. There's a one in a hundred chance. One percent chance that you're going to lose a million dollars. Likewise, they will pay more than $10,000 to get rid of that chance because it's too terrifying, right? Okay, that and, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason this applies to openings is because since we all have had the experience of the feeling of power of getting it right one time when we correctly guess what the dude was going to do, we overvalue that experience because it's like oh there's a chance i could really get a home run here and so we invest all this energy into creating the home run and is it worth something to do some opening work absolutely but the reason people overvalue it 
is the same reason they're overvaluing the 1% chance of a million bucks. And then likewise, the fear is very important with opening stuff. The fear of getting outdone by your opponent, right? Which is likewise a very small percentage chance, right? That fear is so great that you will overvalue that and you'll like really be consumed in fear and you'll do all kinds of stuff just to avoid that one possibility. And we see that actually in the Discord. We have a great uh, thing with people under 1,000 being terrified of what their opponents are going to do, right? And it's that same fear. And it's like, and then when I read the comment, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. We we're talking about the immense love of that 1% chance of glory and then the small percent chance that we're going to get hosed. That that's driving this opening mania that you see at all levels. Now, granted, it gets more important as you go up the ladder. I mean, our our that's there we have full agreement, and our training program takes that into account. But still, at my level, I can tell you it's that people are still overvaluing it for sure. They're out of their minds because winning the opening battle in general is not going to be a home run it's going to be like oh you got an advantage in the open congratulations you know and especially if that advantage is computer driven you're not going to understand it so you know that's where i'm coming at it with the opening and i think it's a, a big misunderstanding that uh is out there you know it's not just you coasted that are suffering under the delusion of the uh, open. yeah no I, I i with you i disagree uh, with like everything <laughs> Wait, I'll, I'll I'll give you a chance there as well. Um, I just want to say that um, let me also clarify that a lot of the the moves Jesse that you point out as like computer moves mm -hmm. have been around for like hundreds of years. <laughs> so it's like uh -huh. it's not so. Sometimes I feel like you know you might be unfamiliar with a certain line or idea, but it's mm -hmm. like very uh, very thematic. Like I'm thinking uh -huh. a recent game where I played um, the bishop f4 queen's gambit declined. Okay, which has been the main mm -hmm. line for maybe 14 years. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it hasn't been like since, I don't know, Tapal of Anand that someone played Bishop G5 and that was like more serious than Bishop. And you called it like some new like computer move. <laughs> no, it was the later thing that you did. And then it was exactly, that game is coming to mind because it was exactly the kind of thing. And then we got to the, the middle game. You had a great position and then it was gone. It was no, gone. I, that, I played really well that game. I play basically perfectly until I you know, got complicated, like in a winning position. But it, like, um, uh, what I wanted to say um, beyond that is like, I agree that it's uh, it's definitely a trap to just play moves that the computer suggests. I'm 100% with you there. And I think that's one of the biggest traps that people have to avoid, especially in certain openings. It's like the engine actually it's not that it doesn't help. It's just like, yeah, you try some idea and then you actively put yourself in a risky position because you might have one move that like gives you a big advantage and then everything else you're worse. And then if you don't really understand all the ideas, like, yeah, you're just yeah. walking into a minefield for, for no you reason. can't find the moves. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely done that. I think it's a, it's a huge risk. That's why sometimes I feel like knowing your openings better will help you avoid <laughs> this type of case. Cause, cause that's, you guys remember my, my, Step two and step three, it's like just knowing the theory and then actually having your own take on it. And it's like when you're kind of in between those, that's where that's where the problem can uh, can seep in. So I'm totally with you that that is a big risk that has to be avoided. 
and that yeah like the lower rated you are the more likely it is that you're just going to walk into some position that you don't understand at all um okay david you also had some uh yeah i mean one thing i want to say is like you know jesse was saying like when you win the opening battle it's not going to be a home run it's just going to be like an edge so like don't get so excited about it but i just want to say like i think that for a lot of people winning the opening battle would mean that they're getting a position that they're comfortable playing or that they understand as well as maybe there's an edge right so so i think that the value not that this almost ever applies to me right <laughs> but i think the value there might be a little bit higher than you were saying jesse it's not like Costa needs or someone else needs like an absolute like you fall into a computer trap and lose by force on move 13 but like if if they get a position that they're comfortable playing that's part of um you know the opening work having been successful for them mm -hmm. um and then the other main thing i want to disagree about is you were sort of ascribing a single psychology to all chess players in a sense or to all mm -hmm. people looking at the million dollars right which is that everybody is going to think focus more on the million dollars right or everybody's going to focus more on the one time that their opening prep did work and not the time that it failed and i think you're going to see a wide variety of of psychologies in in both cases so in your in your money case there are going to be a lot of people who are very very risk averse and they'd rather have eight thousand dollars than have a one percent chance at a million they'll value it less than ten thousand and there'll be some people who value it more and some people who value it directly at ten thousand and it's going to depend on how wealthy they are, whether 10,000 or a million makes more of a difference in their lives and, and so forth, right? The marginal utility of another 10,000 for them. Okay, let me just push back. I mean, that's just not me making an assertion. That's something that's been like diagnostically tested through. I mean, it's not just like <laughs> something that I'm throwing out there. It's been like, I don't know, thousands okay. of people. Then I'm, then I'm disagreeing with the author of your book instead of you. I think there's going to be a wide variety of, uh, you know, people's approaches to to that situation. And I can just tell you, like in chat, there were a lot of people commenting and most of them were saying they wouldn't take, they would actually wouldn't want the risk. That's what they say now. That's what they yeah. say. Now. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, maybe they had another way of gathering the data other than what people said. Maybe it was sort of like they read their brains while they slept with a scanner or something. But um, similarly with the, with the opening success, there are going to be people who are more optimistic and more pessimistic in chess, right? People who focus more on the things that went right and other people who focus more on the things that went wrong. And some people who are more afraid of getting bad positions and some people are more excited to try and get a good position. So I think, I personally, I think you'll see a huge variety of, uh, of sort of psychological takes on these things. Okay, David, um, I think brings up a really good point, which is that the goal of the opening should be to like reach a position that you're comfortable with, that you mm -hmm. like to play. Um, I think this kind of ties in with my feeling for how lower rated players approach their openings. It's it's like, for me, when you work on the opening, you're, let's say, studying opening theory to be uh, specific. You're like trying to exactly get to like a position that you like, a position that you understand. Um, but of course that there's like a base of positions, right? That, that it could be like, I don't know, hundred positions, a thousand different positions that you're like trying to reach one of these types of positions that you enjoy for low rated players. I feel like the more valuable part would be to just expand this base because a lot of players, they can be two pawns up and they're not able to win the game, even with just a huge advantage. So studying the opening to reach that type of position is not actually helpful if they can't then 
convert the advantage. So for them, it's much more important to work on like tactics, end games, things that are actually going to help them convert games. Yeah. And so I think as you get stronger, you're like, you know, the amount of positions that you can now successfully handle kind of grows and grows. But I think that's where that's where most of the work should be going into. And for intermediate players that know how to win with a material advantage, I feel like they should be studying structures, like learning how to play with an isolated pawn, learning how to do like a classic King's Indian attack, learning how to play an opposite side's castling position, these different types of middle games that can come out of all kinds of openings. So regardless of whatever happens in the opening stage, you might still reach a middle game that you feel comfortable playing. Then, okay, once you start like, learning more and more. I feel like even our our level, there's definitely a ton more middle games that I could be better at. But now I think the trade-off becomes a little bit closer. It's like now there's a ton of positions I feel comfortable in. So I could either keep studying middle games and end games, which I agree is like 100% useful, but it's also, I think, very useful to learn how to like navigate the opening exactly and get this kind of... Because now I feel great. Like if I get a nice space advantage, I'll crush anyone. Like I feel good about that. Now it's like... <laughs> Okay, now it's about actually getting there. So <laughs> this is going to be a transition uh, to talking about, uh, actually, yeah, we're right at the halfway mark too, um, talking about how we think uh, students and so forth uh, should actually work work on the opening. Yeah, and here I think we have kind of, I think, a more broad agreement, right? At least I feel in agreement with the way we did the dojo training program in regards to openings in especially like we did a great thing i thought where we're like no <laughs> until you reach 1200 1300 1400 we really don't want you to be doing opening work and we got a lot of pushback and i think we had to like lock arms on that one we had to really lock arms on that one at the beginning of the training program because people were screaming and I think, honestly, a lot of those people are still, you, you see it in the Discord too, they're talking, you know, about openings all the time, even though they're <clears throat> not a thousand yet. And that's part of the delusion, right? But yeah, okay, at least I think we had agreement on what, when opening work becomes valuable. And I feel like we haven't yet perfected the dojo training program in terms of just the smoothness of people doing the opening sparring that hasn't, I think has a lot to do with tech stuff, like people organizing the sparring and stuff like that. That's been hard for people to do. And hopefully we're going to get better at that. But it just in terms of philosophically, I feel like we mostly had agreement on uh, when to study openings and to a certain extent, how to do it in the sense that we had people make, you know, files as they got better and then we have people have marked their sparring positions and then we want people to spar it out, right? And then hopefully talk about it with their sparring partner. So in that sense, I feel like, I don't know, we could, maybe you guys disagree, but I felt like that part of it was agreed upon. Yeah, I'm sure we have some disagreements, but I was definitely, I was definitely happy that it wasn't the main focus, you know, that it wasn't, that, that a lot of time is given to other activities. Um, and I love the the sparring thing because as you see that that fits into how I've approached to openings, right? Is mm -hmm. is playing games. And I think maybe my approach to learning openings is <laughs> more suited for if I were 1800 than if I were 23 or 2400. So I might need to change my mm -hmm. approach for me. But 
I think the sparring games is probably really good for the bulk of our, you know, of of dojoers and just chess players who are out there. So, um, so I'm very happy to have that be sort of a central plank of our, of mm-hmm. our learning system. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me echo that as well. I feel like sparring has been one of the most useful things for me when it comes to like getting practice with a new opening and really um, being comfortable with it. And just on the flip side, like I've never played like a new opening over the board and was like comfortable like the first time I, I tried it. Like it's always a learning curve. So yeah, I really feel like uh, for the program, I, I do like how we just kind of have like a general progression. Like you really don't look at any opening theory until you're uh, 12 or 1300. And then it's just to like learn an opening against D4, just learn opening against D4. And then we're not really suggesting a lot of opening work until um, later on. Um, I don't think we, I don't remember if we specifically lay out exactly when we say like, okay, now at this level, you're allowed to look at database games and look at like what the engine thinks about different opening lines. Um, but for me, I feel like in general, uh, how strong you have to be, it's like <laughs> getting lower and lower. Like in the past, I feel like this wasn't necessary until you were like 2200. Um, but I, I think that number has gone down for me since then. I would I would put it somewhere around like um, around like 1900 to 2000 to when it like, I think actually becomes important to start keeping track of like your lines and your theory and um and looking at uh and looking at your games and where you could have improved and and so on um but in general i want to say i feel like something that's very useful for players of all levels is just to like keep track of what you're looking at so it's like i think model games are super important for learning an opening i feel like everyone if they want to learn a new opening they if they see a good game played in caro con or, or whatever they should just like put it in a leeches study and and then just play through it every once in a while. And, you know, you know you'll get stronger. You'll be like two, 300 points stronger one day. You'll play through the game again and you might pick up even some some different things. But just in general for like retention, I feel like one of the most useful things people can be doing is just kind of storing what they're learning and then just kind of repeating it occasionally. You know, just you see a good game, put it in. You see a good, you know, five, 10 move sequence, put it in, play through it every once in a while. I feel like you just get so much. You'll just remember it. Remember the ideas for so much longer. Maybe let's get into and break down a little bit more on something that Kosti was just saying, Jesse, where he said that using databases and engine analysis, he used to think that was for 2200. Now he's thinking it might be somewhere in the 1900 to 2000 range that it becomes Mm. important. Let's let's separate the two elements and Mm -hmm. sort of see where we think we would place them because I think using a database to CGM games Mm-hmm. And computer analysis. I mean, you can say they come in at the same time, but they're definitely separate things. Yeah, and um, I would definitely say that the looking at games is the thing you do first and the more important aspect. Okay. So, okay. Because my first thought on the timing coast just suggested is like, I can see how it's an option. Like, I could see how it could be an option for someone around that rating to do it, but I don't think it's necessarily important. Like I could see a 1900 doing that and it, you know, having some benefits for some 1900s, but I could see them choosing to instead 
work on an endgame book and make it to 2000 and 2100 without ever doing that work. So, um, yeah, I mean, of course we disagree on this. <laughs> of course we disagree. All right, so I'll just map it out. So let me just say, if I could prevent, if I had a way to prevent my students from looking at the computer, I would. Me too. It would be great. I would for just sure. be great. And let me just say, like, uh, for example, um, uh, James Altucher, my student, we've been doing a lot of stuff, and he is one of the ones who helped with me work working with me. And then he he had a lot of the ideas himself too. Was help create this amazing uh, dojo aggressive repertoire for white. <coughs> and the thing about that repertoire is, I deliberately kept the amount of variations and analysis pared down. And I do believe I found like the key positions that you'd want to spar out, right? And through sparring those positions, you would really become great at attacking chess and those opening lines. Well, what happened though? Well, the second you start going down the rabbit hole of clicking on what the computer says, you're in this morass and you think you're getting wiser. <laughs> you think you're getting wiser, but in fact, you're adding all of these layers on top of what is actually a simple understanding of the position and the layers aren't helping you. And then when I see what he does is then instead of like just following the repertoire, he tries to get fancy and then it just turns into a mess every single time. And so he's at a level of around, let's say 2100 USCF and his openings in a lot of ways should be the strongest part of his game, but it's not because he's losing his mind doing these other things. And I think, I think finally we've come to an agreement that he's no longer allowed to study openings and he's no longer allowed to turn on the computer. But this was like one of those guys on the street that are using heroin and they have to have a hard fall before they can come <laughs> to their senses. It was like that. He had to really hit rock bottom as the drug dealers, drug users say, right? He had to really hit that rock bottom before he said, okay, correct. You know, it's like, instead of instead of being like, I accept that there's a Lord and a higher power. He's like, okay, cry, accept. There's this thing out there and I'm just gonna trust you, buddy. I'm not gonna turn on the computer anymore. So that was a hard road. That was like a lot of lost effort and a lot of grief because of the computer. And so, yeah, if we could have turned it off, fantastic. Now I do think I'm where I'm with Kostya is it's really good if you have a repertoire like the aggressive repertoire where it's laid out in really simple terms of like, here are some key positions that you're gonna wanna play out. Here's some stuff you wanna understand. And then you're gonna have to play it both in sparring and in real games. And you're gonna have to review the moves because ultimately what you're gonna get is you're going to get a feel for those positions, right? And there'll be a couple variations that you'll want to memorize and stuff, but it's not going to be that many. It's the feel of the positions that's going to be the most important. So yes, if I could, if I had a tool to turn it off, I would. Okay, yeah, let me um, kind of come a little bit closer to your, your position, Jesse. And I really want to clarify, like when I say, I think using the engine is okay when you're at that level, like 2000 or so, I mean, the engine is a tool, right? It has to be used correctly. And the danger of it, as you guys well, are well aware, is that most people are just kind of using the engine uh, like for the wrong reasons. And then they don't even understand the output that they're getting. You know, the engine suggests a move and they, they think that, oh, this is, you know, the best move and it could clearly be not. Um, 
And, uh, and so that's the issue with the engine is that it's an incredibly useful tool, right? It's like all the top guys are just using engines constantly. Um, but if it's not used correctly, then it can actually be damaging, which is where I'm with you guys is that this is the issue. It's like, if someone like someone plays a game and then they turn on their like chess.com or Lee chess browser engine afterwards to go through the game, I feel like a lot of times that can actually be damaging to their understanding of what happened in that game, uh, especially because they feel like that's some kind of useful analysis. And then they don't look at it with their own human brain. They don't look at it with like a training partner or a coach. They're like, oh, yeah, well, the engine showed me I did like this tactical mistake and this tactical mistake. And I guess this move was bad. And yeah, I feel like that kind of stuff is not just like not worth very much, but again, actively hurting because it's opportunity cost. You're taking away time that you could have been actually analyzing the game. Um, and in the case of your student, Jesse James, who's like 2100, I would say for him, like in my opinion, the best thing to do would be to like analyze games, like GM level games in his openings. I know he's like a King's Indian player. Mm-hmm. King's Indian is the opening where like, yeah, you just have to study like so many games and understand the ideas because you can get completely outplayed in the opening and fall much worse and still have a typical king's indian attack later and still have ideas and counterplay so it's like so much more important to just be aware of like the different themes and when it comes to the engine i would say like yeah you can use the engine to maybe help you analyze some of these games um but yeah chasing down like like little strings of uh engine moves i yeah definitely am am against like you turn the engine on and move 12 it suggests some random move rook b8 that's never been played and says it's just as good as the mainline castles. And you're like, oh, let me play this random rook move. It's just as good. It's like, no, usually like that doesn't that doesn't work out well. Um, so I feel like for uh, for majority of players, I feel like yeah, just studying games is going to be so much more useful. Just like getting a grip with the ideas of the position, how how like the, the position's plan might play out. Um, like, I think every opening has some kind of, like, uh, philosophy or character that it's trying to to follow. Like, the Grand Prix attack, you know, you're just trying to attack on, on the king side. Exchange Slav, you're just trying to, like, build up positionally on the C file, right? So, you got to, like, understand, like, the nature of the lines that you're playing, uh, learning some of the ideas. And then, and then at some point, I think the engine can be useful once you actually understand, like, all, like all the typical ideas in, in the opening. So... Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because I really, the issue for me, and actually I've been criticized, I don't know if you guys, I've been criticized for being one of those people that's like, don't study openings, when that's not at all what (laughs) what I'm trying to say. But uh, yeah, the problem is like people misinterpret stuff very easily and then they, um, yeah, end up just using the engine way too much because I mean, it's so easy, especially for a beginner, it's just the engine is right there, it's just this tool you know, there's no reason to distrust it. It's like, oh, yes, the computer, it's going to tell me what the best thing is. Like, of course. Right. So that's, that's, of course, the the downside is that, yeah, for, for low rated players, I think it's, um, yeah, just not very helpful. Yeah. Um. So at what level do we, like, do we feel there's a level which players should start using the engine we've given all the cautions now i think (laughs) all three of us are very cautious about it would rather the students we have not be using the engine if we could avoid it is there a level at which we think somebody really should start using the engine more i mean like me should i be should i be uh trying to get some more specific variations uh worked out in my openings 
Well, first of all, Kosi just did say that maybe a 1900 should be using it. So that's why I got on fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I lit up. Um, and it's interesting, like, should I be using it? And I feel like there's an interesting argument that maybe I shouldn't be using it at all. Uh, because I have done in the past, like, but, but I, you know, the way I do it is, I, or have been doing it, is it's kind of like cramming for a test, like right before a tournament, I'll try to get some new ideas. And, you know, I'll, I'll look in the database, turn, you know, just also sometimes when I'm analyzing my own games, I have certain questions about like, how did this go? How could I have done better? You know, yada, yada. Um, but the computer is, ah, it. you know, the other thing about the computer that's funny is it's kind of like a way for the human mind to shut off. And mm -hmm. that's the other thing I really dislike about it. So, um, and, and the way I'll say this in, in openings, I feel like I got a good handle on it's when somebody, usually a person in real life, you know, at a tournament or something, just showed me a variation and then told me in like a paragraph what was going on. And then I was good to go. <laughs> I was good to go. And I'm sure you guys have had that experience too. You know, like somebody ex explained the Petrosian variation of the King's Indian to me in 1987. Fine. I still understand that thing. It's still the same paragraph. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You know, and so, right, there's certain things like if you could understand it and then you can obviously w work with it after you have the seed idea. Easy easy that's when it really becomes powerful so um i feel like of course i've been seduced like everybody else by the computer and even now you know in the last couple of tournaments i've looked at stuff with the computer before but has it ever really helped i'm gonna say no it's the condiment thing i like overvalued it you know and definitely the fear oh man the fear and i i will say in, in terms of the opening when i face somebody and i think they might have prepped me the fear is monumental. It's honestly, it's the same level of fear of someone cheating against you in the sense that they might have found your variation that you're going to play. They might have guessed it, turned on Stockfish or whatever, <laughs> and then you're playing against the computer. Yeah, and maybe it's only like an 1800, and then you're like, oh god, that's the that's the one scenario I need to avoid. And honestly, it doesn't happen that much, but it's such a terrifying possibility that it it can lead to incredible irrationality on right. my part. And I know on, on others too. Yeah. I mean, that's that abject hopelessness, right? Yeah. Where it's just like, <laughs> you're going to lose without a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Again, I want to just like, let's offer more disclaimers <laughs> is if I, again, I, I, I don't know. For me, the key thing is just like the engine can be very useful and it can even be useful for players that are like, not that high rated, but it, yeah, it requires actually like using it correctly and like not turning your own human brain off during the analysis as Jesse is saying. So like the times where I feel like I learned something from the engine it's because I was actively analyzing with it. Like I thought my position is good or I thought my position is bad. The engine is showing me something else and I'm actively sparring against it. I'm like, okay, but what about this move? What about this move? Then maybe there's some just insane tactics hidden in the position that I would have never have seen. And I'm like, okay, engine, good for you. Like, this isn't useful. But sometimes the engine shows you a position where it's like, no, 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 any move is good. Any move is good here. And you're like, what? I thought I was way worse. And you're just like, no, it's plus 1.5 with any move. And then it's like, 
I don't know. I think to me, especially for us, like that's a huge learning opportunity because clearly we're like completely misevaluating. And this goes beyond the opening. I mean, I feel like working with the engine, analyzing my games with the engine, uh, analyzing like master level games has definitely shown me new middle game ideas where let's say someone sacrifices an exchange for a pawn. And in the past, I would have said, okay, it looks like good compensation. It's about equal. Engine is telling me it's minus two. And then like, yeah, maybe next time I'm like a little bit better at like evaluating that kind of position. Um, and I feel like it, it has helped me in a lot of different middle games where I like kind of remember seeing like similar evaluations and then, you know, I go for it and then, you know, definitely matches up. And we've see, we see this in the top players too. I mean, they started playing like H4, A5 in so many different openings now, mainly because of like the engine's influence. I mean... Not saying again. I'm not. I'm definitely not saying like, oh, just turn on the engine and follow what it says. But I'm just saying like, at this point, the engines are so advanced, they can definitely teach us stuff about evaluating different positions. So it's not just about the openings. Yeah, Vincent Keimer, who's playing Magnus right now, he played one of the weirdest H5 moves ever just like <laughs> two weeks ago. He was playing uh -huh. the Carl Khan and White played like the F3 variation, you know, and he plays like Queen B6, Knight C3 you know, DE4, FE4, and then just H5. Like, what? <laughs> like, I, I mean, uh, yeah, it was yeah. it was truly a, a shocker of a move. Um, there's no pawn on G3. You know, white's not castled kingside. It's just really, wow. Kostya just did wow. one of those H5s too. I remember that, Kostya. Oh, when I saw that H5, Kostya, I was like, oh, that was a computer move. And I was like, oh, it's really going to end well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I remember that game. Just no, no, I'm, I'm with you there. That was a black game against, um, against E4. <laughs> I was just, I was just struggling. Um, yeah, no. So it's a weird thing because, okay, I, I mean, Vincent Keimer is super talented, and he works with Leiko, who seems like you know the, the most traditional <laughs> player ever, right? Like the guy that would pretty much hate this stuff. But no, no, he, I mean. I don't know. I think you definitely have to accept that the engine can uncover some deeper ideas, especially these like insane neural net engines that are just like, they're just way, way different. I mean, I remember a few years ago, I was just like running an engine test and uh, I was having a couple different engines analyze uh, a very typical French position um, where the best move is to play bishop takes h7 as a sacrifice. But it's a very deep greek gift sacrifice it's like you sack the bishop and then you just have this like slow moving attack um and some people with like really powerful engines had already analyzed that uh that the attack is like basically winning by force um but if you turn on like your laptop engine or even like your basic desktop engine it's not going to show you the move it's just not going to find it so i was just testing different engines to see like okay how long is it going to take and i think i was testing like stockfish 11 it was before the neural net stockfish and i was testing komodo and then I was testing like this, like very low level version of Leela and both Stockfish and Komodo. It's like they needed like 10 minutes to get there. Leela, which is like on depth eight <laughs> running on like a, a low power GPU. It's one of its top, mo top moves instantly. It's just, it just like these new engines are different. So they're not maybe that's another thing. It's not like these like old, just like calculator engines that we're, we kind of grew up with and then okay i tried the same position on like the newer stockfish and yeah it's just like instant 
it just sees it just understands now that bishop takes h7 is a move that you look at and is a move that you evaluate um mm -hmm. all right it's just one one little anecdote <laughs> yeah okay let me let me give sort of a partial answer to what what we started with this um i would say that people can start looking at gm games almost as soon as they start citing openings. So I think we suggest people can start citing openings at 1200 if they want to. Um, and I think, you know, somewhere around 1400 or 1500, it wouldn't be a waste of time to start looking at GM games in a database. Um, but for using the engine, I would say it's just so, it's just so dangerous. Um, you have to limit your exposure. It's like it's like radiation or something, you know. You you have to like go in for like a second, do your thing and get out maybe. I don't know. I I I would say basically I would stick with my not till 2200. And if somebody in the 2000 to 2200 range wants to do it, they should have like an hour set aside once a week where they do it and then they get out and then it's just hard. It has to be off the rest of the week other than that hour. Yeah, and I want to say, like, uh, just extrapolating from Kostya's H5 that he did <laughs> down to the, like, lower rating bands and games that we've looked at in the, in the training program, that something that I really want to stress is if you are just coming up, and even if you get to my level, if you just play principled moves, you are going to do great. And one of the things, the dangers of the computer is it will often... Um, encourage you to make moves that aren't principled and you'll kind of make a habit out of it and you'll lose your way and then all of a sudden you're not making principled moves anymore and i'm like boss if you had just not looked you would be making principled moves now and you would be fine fine so there's this really uh peculiar thing that i think really extends down to the lower levels where I think, by the way, I really, and I've seen this, I've coached people who from went from absolute beginners to GMs in the opening, where you can play GM level moves if you're rated 700 just by following the principles. That's all you have to do. And it's a remarkable thing. And if you don't believe me, try teaching it to somebody else. It will work. You just got to slap them a couple of times, watch their games and be like, no, you moved it twice. No, that's not possible, right? <laughs> It, very quickly, they will be playing GM level moves with openings that have names, even though they don't know the names of the openings. But then if they get, you know, off the wrong path, then they're just going to, oh, it, and, it, and, the, and the sad thing about it is playing principled moves in the openings is one of maybe the easiest thing of all things to learn in chess. Of all things to learn, it probably is the easiest thing. Like, for example, learning not to hang your stuff, that, that takes a lot of work. And, and I still hang my stuff sometimes. Right. But the principled moves, that's among the easier things. Jesse, I think you're giving us a great segue to what I wanted to talk about. Coaster, okay. are you okay switching to yeah, principles? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask do you teach your students opening principles and what principles do you teach them? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I mean, in the past, when I've had private students, I usually don't work with players that are like below uh, like 1200 or so. It's been mm -hmm. just kind of like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, outside of like group classes, I mean like one-on-one. -on -one. So not often teaching like the really like basic, basic opening principles. Um, instead, we're just, 
think we just mo more focus on like time and development. You know, that's what you usually happens. Cause I might have, like, I don't tell my students what to play. I let them play whatever they want. Sometimes like they play D4 and C4, which uh, personally I'm against. I think most players, like when they're developing, I, I would suggest E4. But anyway, like let's say they're already playing D4, C4. And then, the, you know, they might have games, as you guys can imagine, where they develop their queen side, but they don't develop their king side. And then they, they just, they lose out of the opening. And I've had lots of games like that, especially against the, the Nimzo. <laughs> but uh, so usually it's just about like developing quickly and uh, maybe fighting for the initiative. You know, there are many cases where you can leave a pawn hanging, but you castle, you open the center, you play for the attack, you get a, you know, nice, uh, nice initiative. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, David, that the, one of the reasons you're asking this is there was like a, a little bit of a discord debate and people were like, David calls this a principle and Cry calls this a principle. And then they, and they were like, they're disagreeing with one another. <laughs> it could be. Like you said, you were just talking about not hanging your shit. That's one of my opening principles, actually, uh, is not to hang your shit. Yeah. Um, and you were just saying like, principles are easy. But, you know, not hanging your shit is tough. And I'm like, well, that's one of my principles that, you know, in in any position, it's bad to hang your shit. And th that's one of my opening and middle game principles. You know, it applies to both phases. Well, right. I mean, the way I presented it anyways, when I did these videos with a path to like 600 to, you know, 800 to 1000 is that getting to 1000 is really learning the material dimension of the game, grabbing your opponent's stuff, not hanging your own. That's basically the path to 1,000 right there. You, you, you'll not totally master it at 1,000, and no one completely masters the material dimension of the game anyway. <clears throat> but then after that, right, um, I find that even though they might think they know the opening principles, they are then giving away time. Mm -hmm. They're pretty good at not giving away pawns and stuff, but they'll give away time all the time and so all the next those the, the next videos when i went to thousand to eleven hundred to twelve hundred uh, most of that was about time and i was talking about specific examples in the dojo games that we have seen in our database our database by the way amazing annotated games that our, our members have been doing um so anyways you asked me what the principles are uh to me the opening principles uh you could say uh stuff about material that's a different dimension like i think of chess as being three-dimensional some people make more dimensions than they need but you know i got i got material time and quality of position right and mm -hmm. the material is kind of the first thing you need to, to master but it, just in terms of opening principles i don't think to, to my mind it's not that complicated right uh where in a nutshell it's bring your dudes out <laughs> that's okay. that's the nutshell and do it efficiently and okay. we can talk about other little things little uh, sayings that I think are helpful, but that's it, you know, right there. Mm -hmm. I've got bring your dudes out, fight for the center. Mm -hmm. You know, don't hang your stuff and take their stuff if they hang it as mm -hmm. sort of like an overarching yeah. principle. And like lower down on the tier list, like is create a positional advantage for yourself. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, if if you can do so, you know, without sacrificing too much of, you know, your time, material, or central control, right? So, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I don't think we have a disagreement about the principles. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, one thing where we might have a disagreement is <laughs> that 
I, I, I've gotten a lot softer on the idea of people um, watching 10 minute opening videos, which before mm. we were all kind of against this, uh -huh. but um, knowing for myself and how, just how useful it is to have like a human voice kind of breaking down a position for you. Um, mm -hmm. And just you mentioned like you read like a, a passage about the Petrosian Kings Indian that you yeah. like, you still hold with you to this day. So I feel like there is, even though again, typical disclaimers, people do the openings too much. They don't, they neglect the other stuff. <laughs> they, they just spend too much time. Be that as it may, I still feel like if people find it useful to like watch an opening video and then they learn a little bit about some new position they didn't know before or some new line, and then they try it out a couple of games, like, and that's fun for them. Like, to me, that's fine. I don't think that's like going to be the greatest use of their time mm -hmm. uh, all the time. But I, I do appreciate just like how helpful it is to have, some, especially like, okay, I've been playing chess for many years. If you're a beginner, mm -hmm. I feel like it is helpful to have someone just kind of gently guiding you. Like, okay, you're trying to do this. You've got this trick. If they play this way, you're trying to trade this piece off. You're trying to control this square. I mean, again... I think people should focus on calculation, end games, middle games, and so on. But like a little boost in the opening, no big deal. Just don't make that like the only thing that you do, right? Let me just immediately push back against myself. <laughs> I see people on Twitter, it's just like every two weeks, you know, it's like, oh, I'm picking up this course. I'm learning this opening. Every no, two weeks, yet. they're learning something every two new. Weeks. Like, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's not great because you, you need time to, to get used to it. I, I think it takes time. It takes hundreds of games before you're really comfortable with the opening. Um, and that's just another, I think, common mistake people make is like they pick up an opening and then they're unfamiliar with it in their first few games, of course, and they don't score well. And they're like, oh, I guess that's not the opening for me because I didn't do well the first couple of times I played these like new positions. I think that's, um, that's not right. I think people should choose their openings based on the types of positions they want to get, like attacking positions, strategic positions, etc. And then once you pick an opening and you feel like you might be able to get the hang of it, spend some time with it and don't just give up and move on to the next thing super fast. Let me just quickly say about the videos. There have been a lot of times in my recent coaching experience, let's say like the last five, 10 years, where a student is showing me their game and a weird move appears on the board. It's unprincipled and weird and funky. And I swear to God, I'm like, did Simon, did you watch a Simon Williams video? <laughs> and it's like, I'm right. I haven't seen the video, but I know I smell it. I smell it. And it's like, oh God. And it's just so nasty. And, and then it takes a while because they're attracted to it. They're like, oh, this is my new powerful weapon, sir. Don't take this away from me. And then right. I kind of like deal with it. And oh man, then I see it again and again. And it's just right. Like, oh. They're going to tell you, but Jesse, I can beat 1200s, my level with this. Like, I want a great game. Like, can't I just play it until I'm 1400? Just, oh. And they're like, no one knows what to do against it. I'm like, boss, they don't know what to do against anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'll just put that out there with the videos. You know, there, I'm sure there are good videos out there. And, and yeah. I've done some opening videos too. So I mean, I'm not a, totally against it. But Jesse, you're pointing out a big danger in what Kostya has right. said. Right. And I'm not, I, I'm not going against what you said, Kostya, but like there's some practical dangers in this, which is, and one of them is, that the video might not be of good quality, right? The 10 minute sure. video about some opening, like 
yes, you can learn some good pointers quickly with a good guy teaching you, but you can also have somebody spit out a bunch of moves that you don't understand. Right. So there's, there's always going to be a big danger in spending your time on that, that the resource or material you're using is not that good because not everybody is teaching that well or putting that much effort into it. So that's like a big problem. And another big danger is that you absorb it passively. So even if the video is good, if you're not really engaging as you watch it, it could be a total waste of time. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. There's several things like watch out for, for those who are like, oh, you know, we've got permission to do this from now and then. Yes, but understand there's big chances that you're wasting your time. Big chances. No, 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 for sure. I mean, I would say, um, and actually, I mean, I think Simon's stuff, I actually haven't seen a lot of it. He's a very nice guy, but I haven't seen a ton of his actual like uh, material, but Mm -hmm. I've often found his stuff is less computer-based and more like, you know, here's your plan. You've got this like human idea. You've got the structure you're playing, long-term ideas. And and that actually, I think, speaks to a lot of people because um, I also actually wrote my own opening book uh, taking a similar approach where it's like, you know, if you go through the book, if you go through material, I, I want you to be able to like remember specific ideas, even if you don't remember any of like the theory, because like the ideas, they come up over and over again. So you kind of know what to look for when you're playing this position. Um, but, uh, you know, what you guys said in terms of like the quality, actually, I think that's, I mean, of course, but also I feel like that's kind of part of it. You know, like when I was 1700, I started playing the Budapest Gambit and I was just like playing for like a couple of tricks. And then I just realized, you know, like, okay, I might win sometimes, but I'm not winning because of the opening winning. Cause like, you know, later I'm like outplaying the opponent or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's not really like so useful to like, like, I don't want to play for tricks. Let me play something. And I started playing a different line. It's just kind of part of the process, right? Like, you kind of sure. try it out, and then you realize, eh, yeah, it's not that fun after a while, and then you move on. Yeah, not everything has to be the perfect progression. But, um, you know, for what it's worth, we we suggest what we what we think works better or worse. Um, so there you have it, folks. Um, that is how Jesse, Coasty and I each work on our own openings <laughs> to the extent that we do and uh, our ideas for players up and down the rating ladder from zero to 1200 and 1200 to 1200, et cetera. Um, if you've got any questions or, or further comments, clarifications, um, topics that you think we should cover more in, in the future on this, let us know. Um, always, always happy to answer questions and always cool to get community suggestions for topics. Stop.